Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. Well, this is the day the Lord has made. You can turn me down just a little bit up here. This is the day the Lord has made. We ought to rejoice and be glad in it. I don't know about y'all, but I woke up this morning with joy, and my joy was not the absence of issues. My joy was just that God is good. You know, the Bible says that in his presence, there is fullness of joy. Anybody woke up today and you were just grateful for another day? Come on, if the pandemic didn't teach you nothing else, it should have taught you to be grateful for each and every day. It should have taught you to be grateful for the breath that you breathe in your body. Do me a favor. Everybody just take a deep breath in and let it on out. God gave you that breath. That, that breath was given to you by a great and gracious God. I am grateful for another day, another chance to get it right, another chance to fix what I messed up yesterday, another ch chance to represent him another chance to bring him glory, another chance to worship him, and another chance to hear his word. Anybody excited about the word of God today? Well, won't y'all do it? Grab your Bibles, your devices, whatever it is that has the word of God contained on it for you, and go back to the Old Testament. We're going to go to 2 Kings chapter 7. I do realize that that is not the book of Daniel. Uh, I did promise y'all we were finishing Daniel this week, but I felt detoured this week to... Um, to, to get into 2 Kings 7, and I just believe, like, that, that don't happen by accident. I believe that the Lord is going to use it, and that somebody came in this room looking for a word, and I think God is going to give it to us out of 2 Kings chapter 7. Uh, I do want to, I do want to at least try to finish the book of Daniel next week. So remember, we finished off, uh, for those of you who don't know, we've been going through the entire book of Daniel. So we did Daniel 1, so far up until the end of Daniel 9, and we are excited about Daniel 10, 11, and 12, and we'll finish that next week. Uh, I'm going to be ambitious and try to knock off three chapters, so y'all go ahead and bring a snack, because uh, we're going to be here a little lengthy next week. No, I'm kidding, but, but, but be ready. We're going to get into the Word of God, and I'm, I'm excited about it. Uh, I certainly have had uh, a busy weekend. This, is, this has just been one of those weekends. Um, by God's grace, we got to see two couples in the church uh, get married on Friday. Amen. Amen. Jeremiah and Rachel, I don't know if they're here. They said they was coming into service. I don't know if they're here, but Jeremiah and Rachel got married on Friday. I hope they're not here. They in the back? Oh, where they at? Wave your hands. Stand up. Stand up, newlyweds. Stand up. Stand up. Stand up. There they are. Jeremiah and Rachel and, uh, and Tracy done went off and got married on us. Darrell and Tracy, so grateful for them. And I just believe that both of these couples, that the Lord didn't bring them together by accident, but uh, by them making a covenant and vows to one another, I believe that, that the kingdom is going to shift. Yeah. I believe that God is going to use this couple in a great and magnificent way. Uh, also, I solicited your prayers this morning or this afternoon. Um, I had to preach my aunt's funeral on Saturday, yesterday. It's actually Ty's aunt. And, um, so we were down in Jersey, and uh, yeah, just be praying for uh, pray, praying for the family. Pray for Ty. Uh, it, it's a it's a close aunt. Um, not that no aunts are close, but it's a close aunt. If y'all know what I mean. So if you guys could be praying for uh, for our family. All right, let's get into the word. Y'all excited about the word? Yes. Come on. If you're at 
First, at 2 Kings 7, you just say, yeah. yeah. All right, I think we there. Look, pick me up in verse 3. Now, there were four men who were lepers at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, underline this phrase, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter into the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we will die also. So come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. But they arose. So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they came to the edge of the camp the Syrians of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the armies of the Syrians hear a sound of chariots and the horses and the, and, and, and the sound of a great army so that they said to one another, behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians come to war against us. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents and their horses and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was, and they fled for their lives. Verse number eight, and when the lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into the tent and ate and drank, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid it and hid them. And they came back and they entered into another tent and carried off things from it, and they went and hid them. Then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This is the day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, let us go and tell the king's household. So they came and called to the, gate, to, the, to the gatekeepers of the city and told them, when we came to the camp the Syri, of the Syrians, and behold, there was no one to be seen or heard there, nothing but horses tied to the donkeys. Uh, the donkeys tied and the tents were uh, as they were. Then... The gatekeeper called out, and it was told within the king's household. Let's stop there. I want to preach today from the topic entitled, Don't Just Sit There. Would you look at your neighbor and just say, what you doing there? Just don't sit there anymore. Come on. You tell somebody else, you've been sitting there too long. It's time to get up and, and move. Let's, uh, let's look to the Lord before we dig in and, and, and solicit the Holy Spirit's help. Father, we need your ghost in the room. We can't hear without you. I can't presume to preach without you. So, Father, would you sit on all of us? Bear your full weight on us. Somebody came in here right now broken, and I have no clue what type of a week we came in. I have no clue what type of houses we left from, what kind of chaos we walking away from and walked in here. And some of us, did, we, we, we concluded that this would be our last service. This would be our last day. And so, Father, I pray that you would revive us you would speak to our minds and speak to our hearts. I do. I believe that your word doesn't come back void. And so when you, when this word goes out, Lord, I pray that it would transform someone's heart, that it would renew someone's thinking. The person that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that they would give their life to you today. Your gospel is good. It good it's good. It ransoms hearts. It, it opens eyes. And so Father, do that today as we dig into this ancient text. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Don't just sit there. I read a book a few years ago. It's called The Art of War. It's by an author named uh, Sun Tzu. He was a, a Chinese general, conducted the army in China. And 
In this book, he lays out many different war strategies. Some of them you'll probably know, and some of them you probably won't know. One of the strategies, the war strategies he lays out, is a strategy called trench raiding. Trench raiding is this idea that you make small, uh, small-scale nighttime attacks. And while you're doing that, you're trying to penetrate your enemy, and you're looking for the weak points of the enemy. And so this idea of these small nighttime attacks are called trench raiding. There's another strategy called the base of fire strategy. You've seen this in movies before. It's where a group of the army will will fire away and and they'll fire away. And then there's another group that is invading slowly but surely. They are moving forward. You ever seen the movies where they're like, cover me. And somebody's shooting and then one person just moves ahead and headed. This is called the base of fire strategy. Everybody knows this third strategy. It's called the ambush. The ambush is when you take all of your military might, all of the war, all of the weapons, all of your military, and everybody at one time tries to overtake the enemy. There's another strategy that the book lays out that I think is tied to the text today that I would say is one of the wisest war strategies of all time, and it's called laying siege. Somebody say laying siege. It's this idea. So in order to lay siege, the nation that you're taking over has to have walls around it. Israel would have had walls around it. Samaria would have had walls around it. And so what you do is when your enemy comes, they take their army and they put them around the entire wall and they surround every inch of the wall. And the point of it is not to attack, but the point of it is to wait. So we surround and we simply wait. And what you do when you're waiting is you're not allowing any supply to go in. You're not allowing anything to come out. And if no supply is going in, no water resources are going in, no food is going in, after a while, a famine will happen inside the walls. And inside the walls, inflation will happen. Inside the walls, chaos will happen. And at some point, the nation that you are trying to invade will come out with their hands up and say, we're done, you guys have laid siege on our nation. Well, in our text today, that's exactly what's happening. The Syrians have laid siege to Samaria. And when they laid siege to Samaria, I just got to do a little context here or else I won't be able to sleep tonight. So I got to do a little bit of context. The Bible says in chapter 6 that when they laid siege, the situation inside of Samaria was extremely dark. I'm talking inflation is happening. If you go back to chapter 6, read it when you get home. Verse number 25 says that there was a great famine in Samaria as they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver. And the fourth part of a, of a cab of dove's dung, that's dove, dove poo-poo, uh, was 50 shekels of silver. And so in other words, inside the wall, inflation is happening. Whenever you have resources that are lacking, you can begin to charge whatever you want. Y'all know we saw that in the, in the beginning of the pandemic when a 16-ounce bottle of hand sanitizer was sold for $195. Y'all, y'all remember that? That wasn't that long ago, by the way. Inflation happens when something is in great demand and the supplier is able to say, I can charge whatever I want. So inside the walls, they're selling uh, dove's poop and they're selling a donkey's head for 80 shekels. But not only is inflation happening inside the walls, scripture tells me that cannibalism is happening inside the walls. Not just cannibalism, 
But there was a moment where the king was walking. Read the rest of chapter 6. The king was walking on the wall, and this, yell, this, this woman yells out and tells the king her situation. And here was her situation. Me and another woman, another mother, we made an agreement that uh, when we get hungry enough, we're going to kill my child, we're going to boil him, and we're going to eat him. And they did just that. And the agreement was, whenever we get hungry again, we're going to boil your child and eat your child. This is in the scriptures today. And the Bible says that the second woman ate the first woman's child and then she vanished. They couldn't find her. She hid somewhere. So my mother say amen right there. And so the king hears this and he's messed up. He's unnerved. And so the Bible says that he was so angry that he ripped his garment and he made his way to the prophet's house. The prophet at this time is Elisha. He makes his way to Elisha's house and he has a full intent on killing Elisha. But when he gets there, instead of killing him, the prophet gives him a word. Can you imagine that? You come in angry, you come in hot, you come in ready to kill the prophet. And the prophet says, thus saith the Lord. <laughs> and when he says, thus saith the Lord, Pick me up in verse 7 because now we, we moved out of chapter 6. The beginning of, first, uh, of verse 1 in chapter 7 says, But Elisha said, here's the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time, a sea of flowers shall be sold for a shekel. And two seas of barley for a shekel. Don't miss this at the gate. So in other words, what the prophet just said was, I know they selling all types of crazy poop and, 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 and heads and they selling them for 80 shekels. But tomorrow, this time, you're going to be able to buy a, a barley for a shekel. You're going to be able to buy and make some pancakes by tomorrow morning, this time with, a bar, with, with, with one shekel, you'll be able to make some flour and I don't know if y'all are picking this up, man, but when I read this earlier, God stopped me in the middle of my tracks. And I don't know why I felt led to, to preaching 2 Kings 7, but this morning I got it. When I was reading it, your boy got encouraged because I realized that God was able to turn a famine around in 24 hours. Don't, don't you miss this. They've been in a famine for months. They've been boiling babies. Now, they've been, they've been inflation for a long time, but God was able to turn the situation around in 24 hours. And I don't know who it is that walked in here, and you, you walked in here in the midst of chaos. You ain't been right since this pandemic hit. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you're emotionally all over the place. No matter what it is, do you realize that God can turn it around in 24 hours? God can turn the situation around tomorrow. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, he can turn around tomorrow. <laughs> and some of you have been here right now and you, you've been complaining and you've been aggravated and you've been upset. But the God we serve and what I love about God being in full control is that means that everything that you have, God is in control of. God's in control right now, whether they eat. God's in control right now, whether they starve, it is completely dependent on God. And here's why I say there's nothing in your bank account that's yours. You can lose it all tomorrow. But here's also what I know. The opposite is true as well. You may not got nothing right now, but God can turn it around tomorrow. Somebody say tomorrow. Somebody in this room has been depressed for weeks and months and years because of your situation. But if I read this text right, and I'm not saying this ain't no prosperity, he gonna do it in 20 hours, you know, in the next 24 hours, that's not what I'm saying, but he can. Yeah. 
Can he not? And the Bible says he does in this case. He sends a word through Elisha. He says, look, 24 hours, we're going to be all right. And here's the crazy thing. The king's boy, read the end of chapter six. He didn't believe it. In fact, he said, if God opens up the windows of heaven right now, this won't come to pass. He limited God. And you know what Elisha said? Oh, it's going to happen. And you're going to see it, but you're not going to eat of it. Why are you not going to eat of it? Because you lack faith. This passage starts with faith and the story is going to end with faith. Somebody say in 24 hours, we're going to be all right. Just as a sign of faith, just, just two seconds. Can you just stand up, turn around, and sit back down? Just real quick. Everybody stand up, turn on around, and sit back down. That quick, he can change that situation. That quick, he can redeem your soul. That quick, he can save your aunt. That quick, he can fix the financial issues because we serve a God that knows how to do it in 24 hours. So the Bible says, I wasn't going to preach that, so I'm going to keep moving because this is about the four lepers. Now, don't forget. The prophet said they're going to be selling barley and flour. Where are they going to do it? At the gate. But what else is at the gate? Four lepers. Don't miss this. Verse number three. Pick me up there. Verse number three says, now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance of the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say... Let us enter the city. The famine is in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we shall die here. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. And if they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall die. Don't, don't, don't you miss what is happening here. The Bible says that there is four lepers at the gate, a community that is all brought together by their sickness. I wonder if they would have been friends if they weren't sick. And you know, that, that's, this is also a very, very common theme uh, within our culture right now. A lot of times we get connected to people by our dysfunction. Uh, I'm dysfunctional. I ain't got no daddy. You ain't got no daddy. Let's get married. That's the wrong reason. To get married. We get connected to friends because we're, we all share a dysfunction. And the Bible says that these four lepers are all connected in community right now because they have a disease, because they have a sickness. And the Bible says, now, now don't miss this. Sometimes I preach and I assume that everybody understands uh, the text. And, you know, I go home and I'm like, ah, oh, man, did everybody know what leprosy is? Leprosy in the Bible is the most feared disease, period. The Bible mentions leprosy over 40 times. And each time it mentions leprosy, it's always talking about how lepers were ostracized, were outside of the wall, were outside of the commonwealth of Israel. And it's crazy to me because we all in a famine, we boiling babies, but we found a way to ostracize somebody else. Y'all know how often we do that? We all in the midst of hardship. We all in the midst of this trial, in the midst of pain. But somehow, some way, we found a way to look down on somebody else. They said, hey, lepers, y'all still got to get outside. And the reason they did that is because they look like the walking dead. Le leprosy was, is today known as Hansen's disease. It, it was hopeless. It was deadly. It was incurable. There was no cure for leprosy. Oh, 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 but there's a man named Jesus. And what's crazy is the stuff that we ostracize, Jesus doesn't only accept, he doesn't only use, like we're going to see in the text, but he touches. Do you know how many times Jesus touched lepers and he didn't receive leprosy? Jesus always, always, always likes to touch stuff that everything, everybody else thinks is disgusting. 
And somebody should be rejoicing right now because you feel unworthy. You feel dirty. You may not got leprosy, but you don't feel worthy and you feel ostracized and you don't feel like you fit in. God knows how to touch even that part of you. That's the kind of God we serve. So the Bible says that there's four lepers in there sitting outside the gate. And the prophet Elisha said the day before, 24 hours from now, God going to do something. Oh, and it's going to happen at the gate. And so what they start doing is they start talking to each other. They say, look, we got, we got three options. First option, we can sit here and die. Second option, we can go back into the city. Now, here's the crazy thing. I know they say they're going, we ain't going back there. They're they, they, they crazy in there. They're boiling babies. They're eating poop. They're, we're not going back there. Our situation outside the gate is better. If we're going to die, we're going to die here. Oh, but there's a third option. We can move forward. We can move forward and we can go to the Syrians, which is our enemy. And if we go to the Syrians, we got a 50-50 chance. They might receive us or they might not. And so if they don't receive us, we're going to die. But guess what, Gio? We would have died at the gate. Guess what? We would have died in the city. So at least if we go to the Syrians, they'll kill us or they'll be merciful and they'll spare our lives. But either way, do you know what they did after the conversation? They got up and they started walking. And when I said that this chapter starts with faith, faith is woven throughout the whole chapter. Notice that their walking was walking in faith. This is why I said, why are you just sitting there? Because God is tired of seeing you sitting there moping and complaining and tired. What he likes to see is you get up and start moving by faith. Because when you get up and move by faith, he looks down and he be like, oh, my sons is moving. My, my daughters is moving. They trusted me. They ain't got the, they got a risk. They ain't got all the answers. They got more debt than they got money. But nevertheless, they are moving, watch this, by faith. So the Bible says here in verse number five, so they arose and they went to the edge of the camp in the, of the Syrians. Behold, there was no one there. Don't forget the Syrians laid siege on them. The four lepers get there, ain't nobody there. It says, for the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear a sound of chariots and the horses and sounds of a great army so that Israel, they, they said that Israel has hired against us the king of the Hittites and the king of the Egyptians. They have come against us. So they fled away in the twilight, my God, and abandoned their tents, their horses, their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was, and they fled for their lives. Don't miss this. After the conversation, they got up, they started walking towards the Syrians, and when they started walking towards the Syrians, fully confident that they were going to see the Syrians and ask for, for mercy, they get there, and ain't nobody there. But you know what's there? Their stuff, gold, silver, food. And, and, and the Bible says that they fled. Why? They fled because they heard an army. But y'all, we just read the text. Ain't no army in sight. The Egyptians ain't in sight. The Hittites aren't in sight. Read the rest of the chapter. Read the next chapter. The Egyptians are nowhere to be found. But they heard the sound of Egyptians and really all that was walking towards them was four lepers. 
four sick lepers started walking by faith. And as they started walking by faith, y'all making me work. As they started walking by faith, don't miss this. As they started walking by faith, God said, oh, I'm going to send a sound because they got movement. And because they're moving, I'm going to make four sick people sound like an entire Egyptian army. And so they said that the Bible, the Bible says the Syrians said, oh, we ain't got to go home, but we got to get out of here. They didn't even grab their stuff. They just started running and fleeing and going. And why did they start fleeing? Because they thought the army was coming when really four sick lepers were coming to ask for mercy. And I love this. I love this. I really do. I love this because this morning when I was reading this, I was going, God, not only do you turn things around and you have the ability to turn things around, but if I exercise faith, you know how to move. And here's the thing. Some of y'all, since the beginning of the pandemic, you haven't exercised no faith. Let's be honest. Y'all know we real calculated and everything got to match up and, you know, all the numbers got to make sense. And I, I do want to be very careful. Be wise. The Bible does say count the cost. So don't go out here and quit your job tomorrow. Count the, unless the Lord says do it. But nevertheless, God is tired of you sitting there. He wants you to exercise faith. Y'all know when the, when, the, when the quarantine hit and we was like really, really locked down, you know, all of us are saying, I ain't getting that quarantine weight. Y'all remember that? I ain't putting on all that quarantine weight. But many of us put on a quarantine faith, lazy faith. Many of us put on weight. Why? Because the Bible says exercise your faith. And exercising ain't nothing but lifting weights. My, my boys is in the front. They've been uh, going to the gym, and, and they think they're getting muscles and stuff like that. Uh, I still put them down real easy, but they think they're getting muscles. And I, got, I had to move up when I said that, you know, just flex my muscles on them. But what they're doing is they're starting to fill out and swell up. Why? Because they've been exercising. And your faith is a little flabby. And the way you exercise your faith is by putting it in operation. Get up, start walking. Get up, start moving. Get up, stop complaining. Because let me tell you something. Doing nothing does nothing. I know that's bad English, but it's such good theology. Doing nothing does nothing. And what God wants from you is from you, for you to walk. I wonder if these four men that had leprosy started to walk in faith, and I wonder if God came down and the, the army sound was his footsteps. I wonder if he started walking with them because that's what God does. When I'm telling you God is tired of you sitting there, when you get up and start walking, he comes down and starts walking with you. And Danielle, when he walks with you, he accelerates the journey. Amen. I'm telling you, he accelerates the journey. I was in uh, Atlanta Airport. If anybody's ever flown out of Atlanta Airport, you know. You know. <laughs> they, 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 say, they say on the trip to hell, it's going to have a layover in Atlanta. It's just... <laughs> Atlanta Airport is the worst. I don't care what y'all say. You know, it's one of those things. You got to get on them trams. It's a thousand people all around you. You feel crunched up. Ain't no spacing out. Ain't nobody got on masks. Everybody just tight and tight and tight. And I had a connecting flight in, in, in Hartsville. What is it? Hartsville? Uh, yeah. Jackson. Yeah, yeah. I had a, in Hartsville, Jackson, Atlanta Airport, I had a, a connecting flight. But my flight was 12 minutes apart. And it felt like I flew into gate A, and I had to go to gate Z. 
And I had to get on trams, and I'm run, running, I'm running, I'm running. I felt like Forrest Gump. I was moving, I was moving, I, you know, I was moving. Remember that girl in Lovecraft Country when she was running? That's how I felt. I was moving quick. And halfway through, I realized I wasn't going to make that flight. And I started to be so sad, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm going to have to catch another flight. And I got my stuff because I don't check no bags. I got my stuff, and I'm moving, and I'm slowing down. And I stop, and I say, you know what? It ain't worth it. And God gave me grace. You know what I saw ahead of me? One of them moving walkways. Y'all ever seen those? I seen a moving walkway, and when I got on it, it accelerated my journey quicker than if I didn't get on it. And when I say, when you get up, and when you start walking, God begins to accelerate the journey. You need a moving walkway in your life. Somebody knows that they need a spiritual moving walkway, but you only see the walkway when you start, when you start moving. We serve a God of movement. Do you know that? When God created the universe, the first thing he did was he put the orbit and, and he started having the planets move around. Nothing right now, you sitting still, but you moving. Did you know that? Because we serve a God of movement. And so many of you in this room have been stale and you've been dry and I'm not beating you up. I'm just exposing that we, many of us are in a place. Ah, thank you, Lord. We feel stuck. Is that anybody's testimony? Can anybody be honest this morning? Am I preaching to anybody? You're like, I feel stuck. And, and, and what gets you unstuck is faith. I know you ain't got it all together. I know the situation ain't worked out. I know you got hardship. But if you would just get up. These four lepers said, you know what? We can sit here and die. That's an option. We can go back into the, in, into the, into the wall, into the city, and we could die. Or we can start moving. Here's what messes me up. That God uses these four lepers. Because after they start walking and they get there, which is crazy. The first to eat is the lepers. That's the first one to eat. They said, man, pick a tent. Eat whatever you want. Filet mignon, shrimp, scampi. You know, they eating, they eating poop in there, but we eating good out here. And it got to the point where they looked at each other and they was like, y'all know we're not right, right? We got to go tell the king. That we got to let them know that the siege is over. We got to let them know, watch this, that the prophet Elijah is true. That the word is true, that the famine is now over. And the Bible says that they say in verse number eight, then they said to one another, we are not doing right. Don't miss this phrase. This day is a day of good news. And what I love is they took good news. And by the end of this story, they shared it. I'm no longer talking about the four lepers. I'm now talking about the greatest news. See, because you got it. You, you, you came in here. You were rejoicing over the fact that we got, God got to turn it around. Y'all know we, we felt very uh, tied tributous. He turned it and, you know, y'all was ready to get up and, you know, we're going to do it. But, but the, the greatest miracle ain't stuff. The greatest miracle ain't a new job. The greatest miracle ain't a new promotion. The greatest miracle ain't money in the bank. The greatest miracle is when Jesus ransoms dead hearts. That's good news I want to share. They shared the good news of food, but somebody in this room needs to share the good news of faith. That I walk by faith, but let me tell you about this God. Let me tell you about this Christ that redeems my heart. Let me tell you about this Christ that takes sinful man and connects him to a holy God. I know we hear that, but do you know how crazy that is? 
that God that dwells in unapproachable light, God that does not allow sinners to be in his presence, allows you in his presence. How does he do that, B? I can tell you how he does it. Jesus is how. Because Jesus bridges the gap between sinful man and a holy God. Do you know in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, God made him, meaning Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. You get righteousness because Jesus took sin. That's the good news. That's the news we should be rejoicing over. You want to stand up and turn around and sit down? You better stand up and shout on the fact that Jesus saved you by dying for your sin. They said, we ain't right. Let's not sit here and eat all this food. We hiding stuff. Let's, let's, let's be obedient. Let's, let's do what, what Elisha said. He said, tomorrow they're going to be selling flour and barley for a shekel. Let's make sure that word comes to pass. So they go and tell the king. And the Bible says that the king then, um, uh, if you read the rest of it, the king then lets everybody else know. And the famine is over. Just like verse 1 said, every head bowed and every eye closed. There's, there's somebody I'm, I know we switched this message because there are a bunch of people in this room that feel stuck. There's a bunch of people in this room, their situation feels unbearable. But why sit here and die? We can get up and move in faith. And maybe, just maybe, God will do something. Now, let me be very clear. This don't mean that he is bound to do it. Faith ain't us deboing God. He'll do it if he wants to do it. But he does respond to faith. So I want to pray for somebody today, somebody who's in this room. If y'all can move a little quicker, fellas. Somebody that's in this room, I, I, want to, I just want to pray for you. I'm going to pray that you keep moving because you've been stuck. If that's you, if you know I'm talking to you, if you do me a favor, you run down to this altar. If that's you, if, if that's you, if you would say, I've, I've been stuck, Pastor B. I've been feeling stuck. Thank you for coming. I've been feeling stuck. I feel like there's no movement. I feel like I'm in the same place. If you would come down here to this altar. You know, there's a song. I don't know what y'all about to sing, but there's a, there's a song Israel. Israel sings. He says, I'm not going back. I'm moving ahead. I'm here to declare to you that my, that my path is over in you, that all things are made new. I surrendered my life to Christ. And then he ends by saying, I'm moving. I'm moving. Somebody say forward. Father, I pray for everybody that's on this altar. Thank you for coming down, bro. Every single person on this altar represents a story. Represents a moment of being stuck. Thank you. Y'all can still come. And many of us on this altar are tired of being stuck. Ain't nothing here. Why are we sitting here and die? And so, Lord, I pray that you would unstick us. But I'm not just talking physically, but somebody needs to be emotionally unstuck. Someone needs to be spiritually unstuck. And so, Father, would you do the work on this altar? I look forward to the testimonies that will come from each one of these young men and each one of these young ladies when they finally start moving and you start acting on their behalf. I can't wait to see how the kingdom begins to move forward because of them, because you use them. I can't wait to see how hell begins to shunder because you use them. 
simply because they're moving forward. I see tears on this altar. I, I see people who are laying it all before you. And so, Father, we are dependent on you. And when we get unstuck, help us to make sure everybody else around us hears how we got unstuck. That I moved in faith and my God responds to faith. And so may everybody around us, nobody be stagnant. Help us to be a pipe, not a puddle. A puddle of stale water. Help, help us to flow. Help us to move. Give us discernment. Give us wisdom. Give us what, what, what path to go down. Give us the decisions that we need to make. And Father, as we begin to exercise faith, I know that there's a risk. I, I know that somebody is making that decision and there's a risk. But Father, I pray, oh God, that when they look back, they realize it was better for me to get up and move Amen. than it was for me to stay here and do nothing. So Father, work miracles. Work miracles. Work miracles. Work miracles. Sometimes, God, we get so theological that we forget you are a worker of miracles. Work miracles. Open doors. Give favor. Grant access. Tear down any strongholds. Move hindrances out the way. Because, Father, we just want to be obedient to you. And I believe, oh God, I believe that in this next exercising of faith, in this next move, I believe that it will help us to walk into purpose walk into destiny and walk into design. It's in Jesus' mighty name we give glory and honor. Amen. Let's sing a little bit, y'all. Moving forward. Come on, y'all can stay down here and worship if you want to. Come on. I'll follow you. Forward. Come on, can we lift our hands and sing this again? You may Come on. Everybody that came down to this altar, if God can use lepers to change a famine for an entire nation, don't tell me he can't use you. When you walk back to your seat, I want you to walk back with a little bit more swag. Because the God that you serve is almighty. What's the song we sing? He's a champion. The God you serve is undefeated. And therefore you are undefeated. Can we thank God for everybody that came down to the altar? You may take your seat.